Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I'm really excited for today's conversation because it's one that I've had so many people reach out to me about with questions saying, hey, we should do a podcast on this topic. And that is the new data literacy standards for math here in Nebraska and thinking about not only what are those, the the why really behind the focus on these particular pieces, and then where that meets what we're able to do in the classroom. How Where do we start to embed these in so that we make sure that learners are being exposed to them? standards. And so I'm so grateful that we have Shelby Auberg from out west in Scotts Bluff, uh, Heidi Rethmeyer, who's at ESU 8, and then Trevor Ray, who is at Westside, uh, all join us today so that we can have a conversation about this and, and frame that. So I'm going to let each of our guests introduce themselves so you get a chance as the listeners to kind of differentiate voices and to know a little bit more about what uh, lens and expertise each of these individuals bring. But I'm really uh, grateful to all of them for taking a little bit of time out of their busy schedules to hold this conversation. So uh, let's just go in that order and we'll start with Shelby. Okay. My name is Shelby Auberg. I'm a high school math teacher at Scottsbluff High School. I taught for two years at Omaha Westside before moving out west to be with family. This is my 19th year in education. I serve as the math department chair at Scottsville High School. I teach six different preps a day, so I have a foot pretty much in every level. I'm the 2015 Nebraska Teacher of the Year, 2013 Presidential Awardee, and... And yeah, and just bring a a wealth of experience, clearly, uh, to this conversation. And and not only that, but yeah, just really grateful that you took a little bit of your plan time when you got six preps (laughs) to be able to hold a podcast. So thanks a lot, Shelby. Um, I'll throw things over to Heidi next. Good morning. I'm Heidi Rethmeyer. I am currently data coordinator at ESU 8. In terms of my background, it's pretty varied. Former active duty military. I was an aeronautical engineer. And then found myself in education. I've taught everything from fifth grade to post-secondary, a lot of math, a lot of science, some STEM thrown in there. So, um, and then for the last 10 years, I've been at the ESU focusing on math and science and recently rolled into a new uh, job title of data coordinator. So I love talking data. Well, you're in the right conversation. Uh, I mean, good company. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. I'll throw things to Trevor next. Um, I'm Trevor Ray. I currently teach here at Westside High School. And then before that, I taught at Schuyler Central High School. And so this is my 10th year in education. And currently, I am the NATM, the Nebraska Association of Teachers of Mathematics president. And hopefully, we'll hold our fall conference here soon. So getting excited for that. Well, uh, again, a lot of expertise on the call today. Grateful for everyone's time. And let's just kind of jump right in with this. So these new data literacy standards, typically, we'd like to at least think that the standards are created to address needs that we're starting to see for our learners as they go through K-12 system and graduate and some of the things we anticipate them running into when they get into the work world. And so uh, maybe I'll I'll ask Shelby here to kind of start our our conversation off about, give us a little bit of the why uh, behind these and and maybe a sense of what we mean by those particular data literacy standards. And we can certainly roundtable that as well. Sure. So we'll jump back in time a little bit. 2015 was the last time we had new math standards in Nebraska. But if we go even further back in 2011, a meeting was held at UNL about the Common Core State Standards for Mathematics. And Bill McCallum himself, who spearheaded a lot of that effort, he was there. And it was ironic at the time that the political climate 
that we were having a meeting about the Common Core State Standards in Nebraska, even though Nebraska has never headed that direction. Our teachers involved in writing standards and involved in that process, so they're better informed when it comes to assessment. After the 2015 standards came out, there was a lot of criticism about how the standards themselves were criticized for being overly vague, intentionally vague, very, very broad general language. Um, and teachers came back with a lot of frustration about how do we bring this standard to life in our classroom if we're not quite sure what it's even asking us. So we know that through iteration processes get better and people get better at things. So this set of standards, we've been put in a position where we really have to examine technology very carefully. We really have to examine data science and the role of the math teacher very carefully. Just yesterday, ChatGPT4 came out. Uh, ChatGPT4 successfully passed every AP exam at first try. AMC 10 and AMC 12, which are national contest math exams on a scale of 150, ChatGPT 4 got a 30 and a 44. Um, so even with open-ended problem-solving tasks, technology is becoming increasingly better at solving things we thought only humans could do. And we know that with each iteration, that's gonna, that technology will advance. And that's a very real thing in the lives of our students. It's not just about whether or not a, a chatbot can write an essay for a kid. We have to think about in our math classroom we can no longer teach math in such a way that we deny the presence of technology, how that might better inform uh, the standards that we, we write and we teach in schools. The example I would give is my former department chair here at Scotts Bluff was here for 40 years. He was a lifer and he would always give me a hard time about not being able to derive by hand the value of square roots. So that's an example of procedure. I don't know how to do that. I would look that up online if I really needed to do it. But I would tell them all the time, that doesn't diminish my understanding of what a square root is, its purpose, what it does. So we need to start thinking about Algebra 2 and some other classes a little bit differently and start really asking ourselves, what do kids really need to know this new technological space and this new workforce? Wow. Great to learn about ChatGPT4 coming out. Um, Heidi, Trevor, what would you like to expound upon, I guess, from what Shelby shared there? Yeah, I'll share. I was part of the writing team with Shelby, actually, for the data standards. And I, I thought I would be important to point out when we were thinking about this new iteration, you know, we looked at a lot of what was out there, what other states were doing. And to be honest, I don't think, at least I, I'll speak for myself personally, I don't think I could with clear conscience try to mimic what was on Common Core that was written in 2006. You know, that's that's pretty old. <laughs> so I think a lot of the guidance that we took came from Geise too, which is, you know, the guideline for assessment and instruction and statistics education, which came out in 2020. And I think that helped frame what we thought about in terms of the data section. So I just wanted to put that out there that a lot of our thoughts came from Geise as opposed to Common Core. So and maybe Trevor, to kind of build upon that, as the president of our statewide math organization, what are you hearing from some of your colleagues in the same vein, I guess, or what are your thoughts? Just some of my own thoughts were that right now, our Algebra 2 course kind of feels archaic a little bit. We talk about higher order polynomials. Um, we talk about quadratics, logarithms, rationals. And a lot of our students come back and say, well, when will I need this in my future lives? And it's getting harder and harder. Well, if you're an engineer, you can have these opportunities to further explore mathematics. And I think that 
uh, a real focus on statistics and at least in an algebra two course, I think helps build everyone's statistical literacy. And I think that the more our population can further deep dive into how statistics works and how to realize biases in all sorts of forms, I think better suits us. So the point I would question off of that and not being a math guy myself would be to say, what are some of those real world applications that uh, we can start to think about where learners are going to come across statistics? I mean, I think everyone might have an example or two that come to mind, but I think collectively we might be able to sort of put a little bit of a list together and, and just think about how practical it is to try to address these new standards. We see this across journalism. <laughs> Often we hear about, you know, how do you teach a kid to discern between fake news and real news? How do you teach uh, an adult, even an educated adult, how to discern between a legitimate study and one that was conducted by an entity that has financial gain based on the outcome of the study? Um, so in statistics class, we spend time on identifying potential sources of bias. Uh, how do you collect a survey with fidelity? How do you construct a sample that's representative of the population you're trying to estimate this unknown truth you want to know? Um, piggybacking off what Trevor said, Kevin Dykema, the current president of the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, uh, he released a statement about technology, and I'm going to read a quote from him. It says, technology affords us the opportunity to replace or de-emphasize some procedural skills to allow more time for students to analyze, make sense of, and apply the mathematics. For example, should we really be spending as much time on factory polynomials or rationalizing denominators as we currently do? How do we make room for fluency with being able to add and subtract numbers of all formats, along with recognizing how operations present themselves in problems or contexts? So going with what Trevor said, across Nebraska, the real problem of practice is as the ACT continues to be the metric by which our math teachers are judged and our communities are judged, we really need to take a hard look at what parts of Algebra 2 could potentially be replaced in favor of data analysis, interpreting graphs, things that for all intents and purposes might actually be more helpful in the science ACT because we know so much of that subsection is based on reading charts, tables, and graphs. So as Heidi and I and the other members of the data team and the number sense team uh, we're looking at standards and thinking about where does this fit. The writing of the standards did not put us in a position to really make those strong course recommendations. But where I would see that fitting as a practitioner is, as Trevor said, take a hard look at Algebra 2, start thinking about what makes sense. Are there things that we can replace, things that we can substitute that would be of better use, not necessarily to the student's daily life, but overall to give them a better, better math identity when it comes to spreadsheet-based reasoning, uh, statistical-based reasoning, and things that might translate better to the workforce. Well, I, th I think it's funny. I was just looking for that quote from the NCTM president, too, Shell, because I read that as well, because there's a there's an additional part about the statistics piece and, and creating individuals in our K-12 math system that are healthy skeptics. You know, when they hear something on the news, what goes through their mind? Because we've tried to build into the standards more of a statistics process as opposed to what I think happens a lot in the past is where students were just given data and told to analyze it. Whereas now we really want them to think about it as a process as, you know, you need to develop an investigative question, first of all. And then how do you collect and consider data 
in a way, as Shelby said, eliminates bias? Um, and then how do you report it? And can you identify graphs that are biased? Yeah, I, I really want to push for them to be healthy skeptics, which I think will be very valuable for any adult, regardless of whether or not they're in engineering or not. You know, I want teachers to think about, are my students thinking or are they mimicking? You know, what's happening in the classroom? And I'm hoping these new standards and some of the, and we, we'd spent some time thinking about the verbs and the standards too. What are we asking students to do and show? So we want them to be doing the thinking and, and not the mimicking, which often happens. And Trevor, I know that uh, you've been working on bringing some of those standards into the classroom. And so, yeah, where does that landed within the work that you're able to do at Westside? We've really kind of looked this year more intensely at, you know, what Algebra 1 covers, what our Algebra 2 course covers, what our pre-calculus course covers, and kind of really delegate responsibilities. You know, in our Algebra 2 course, we were always an inch deep and a mile wide. And so we really wanted to look at, well, where can we really spend some time? And if we're going to teach statistics, we might as well teach statistics really well. And let's spend a serious amount of time teaching it. And, you know, let's throw in a project where students are really getting their hands on real data and they're coming up with real survey questions and getting them a chance to explore those really big concepts that we want them to learn about. And I, I think a project is a really good way to do that. That does kind of lead to the question that has been brewing across these, for me at least, is that situation, this might require some additional professional learning uh, to consider, right? Like uh, I might shift from here's your 30 practice problems to now we have to facilitate a discussion about the quality of the source. <laughs> and that's, that's just a different, I would think, mindset and, and approach or, hey, we're going to create a product as like a demonstration of our learning, uh, as opposed to maybe having answered a series of, of questions that would be something you might check the, the formula for or, or the, their work. But yeah, this is more a creative piece. Is that, is that fair to say? And what does that look like in your experience so far? That echoes the experience we had in statistics class yesterday. So there's a website called Stats Medic. It's run by Luke Wilcox of Michigan. He's a Michigan Teacher of the Year. Um, he also runs Calc Medic and now Pre-Calc Medic. But essentially, it's a, it's a site for teachers that has resources to help teach statistics, and then it has grown into other disciplines. One of their primary tenets of design of a lesson is experience first, formalize later. And that's something that I've followed by default in statistics class for the almost 20 years that I've taught it. Yesterday in class, handed kids in groups a bag of M&Ms, handed them a paragraph from the M&M company saying, here are the proportions of colors that you can expect to see in our packages. We open up the packages here in Nebraska and discover, wow, there's way fewer blues and way more oranges. You know, why is that? Is this a surprising result? Is this difference so big that we should be surprised by what we see. And so giving them tools, you know, the chi-squared chi -squared test for goodness and fit to see if that model applies to answer a question from the world outside school. One thing we tried to avoid in the state standards was the use of the term real world. When we say real world, that's code. We need to code switch that to the world outside school. The world of school is very real. For many of these kids, if they do continue to occur in academia, they can expect to see more things like the school successes they've seen. The outcome of that particular investigation is if we have a conversation about what could be causing 
this difference in colors. Maybe the dyes vary in price. And so maybe they were trying to save on a particular price. So, so getting kids in a position where they confirm or disconfirm an observation they make from the world is really what we're about in statistics education and giving them tools by which to judge whether or not this result is something they should pay attention to. Maybe it was just random. Maybe, maybe it was not intentional or it just happened that way. So the other pressure we have to face as education as a political act is we want to make sure that we are equipping kids with tools to critically reason and to think about things that they, that they read the news or they see online. And one of the ways by which we do that is you get them past that initial sense of, in stats class, distrust of everything. The novice statistician, the first that they default to is, well, they were obviously trying to manipulate the data. They were obviously only cherry picking the best results. And it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult to move kids away from that position, that perception that people are always trying to manipulate or deceive us. You know, some of that comes from a place of lack of understanding. So I've kind of dominated the room. I'm sorry. I'm going to pause and let somebody else go. No. Well, and that makes me wonder too, then if then when you go to collect your own data, you see that as being the utility of data is or data, however you want to say it, like is to be manipulative or to let it cater to your cause, right? I, I think would think that would be part of a negative aspect of viewing it in that sense as well, in addition to the point that you, you mentioned earlier. So yeah, I think continuing to build upon that, what are we what are we seeing from like a professional learning sense or how is this going to push shift our practices? to be able to address these well and, and support learners? Well, from the PD side, I will say that there is a fair amount of inertia and pushback when you suggest that you step away from the typical Algebra 1, Geometry, Algebra 2 format. And I think there needs to be some messaging that goes along with this, not only to educators, but also our stakeholders, our families because oftentimes that's all they know. And so there's, you know, some, maybe some pushback there too. So, yeah, I, I, I've found in my world of PD that, you know, shifting mindsets is a difficult task. It does not happen overnight. And oftentimes there has to be an experiential part of that where they have to experience, try it, let their students experience it before they can really see sometimes the advantage of it. <laughs> so developing a space for that to happen and the time for that to happen, knowing our educators are strapped for time and energy, that's hard. So in my world, it's often messaging as much as I can, asking them to take risks, try new things, and hoping that their mindsets will shift along with that. So, and then the messaging that needs to go home as well. I would think promoting some resiliency when it isn't comfortable the first time or that it doesn't quite land in the way that you would anticipate. Because anytime you do something new, there's a, you'd love for it to go as well in your mind as you think that it's going to. And rarely does it happen, even though we know that it still doesn't feel any better when you get those situations that kind of double down and revisit. Trevor, I know we got you on borrowed time here, friend, but yeah, where does that conversation kind of land for you? I think it kind of hits home, especially kind of planning this fall conference that we have coming up for NATM, I, I think the data is going to be a huge part of that. And we have to really look at and borrow from other districts around us, you know, what's working for Nebraska teachers and maybe even bringing in some people from around the nation that, like Shelby said, bringing in some people that are really good with statistics, 
and really kind of force on that idea of how do students learn best and what can we do to help them get to that point where they're persevering through problems. And with the limited time that we have left too, so I want to build upon what you're sharing there because we can put resources in the show notes. So the workout of Michigan that Shelby referenced earlier, we'll certainly track down links for that. Listeners to be able to find that there. Uh, Trevor, I'm going to ask two things. One, are there any resources that you found particularly beneficial for thinking through this work? And before you go to make sure that you promote that conference, where can people go to make sure that they get registered? We have a, a website, natmmathematics.org. That's one of them. That's, that's our folk conference. Um, we'll have Howie Wah there keynoting. We kind of want to build on some strands that we have going on. So looking at those standards really in depth. Hopefully we're starting a book club this summer. Hopefully we have a summer learning series where we can kind of get some teachers, some resources like these statistics resources. The one that we really used here at Westside this year was Skew the Script. It was just kind of some lessons that we had uh, that really looked into statistics and provided some, some real data for them to dig into. Terrific. Well, uh, thanks for sharing those. And I know you have class in about three minutes. So uh, we'll, uh, I certainly want to say thanks and we'll continue to keep the conversation going. But those resources uh, and also the link to where folks can register for the conference will be part of our show notes as well. So Trevor, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. And Shelby, Heidi, as we continue to, to think through this, then what I mean, I'm an English guy. What am I missing? What am I leaving out of our conversation up to this point uh, that is certainly worth highlighting for folks as they think through this work? I've um, been grateful that we got some resources and some further learning to point folks to, you know, maybe what courses to consider, but uh, what, are we, what are we leaving out? Let's talk about trust. So we want our students to trust the education they're getting. We want our families to trust that they're sending their best and brightest to us every day and that their student is getting what they need to be successful in the world beyond school. There's also trust amongst the teachers. The teachers are trusting that the state standards, the roadmap that they're supposed to execute in class is is a guide that will take them where they need to go. We know that there are travelers out there in the world that travel without a map on purpose. And some people might take that approach. However, when we sat down with our data team, uh, number team, algebra and geometry teams at the high school level, we wanted to come up with a guide that would meet the needs, not just of the learner in this next school year, but thinking about six, seven school years out when we're at the end of this cycle, what the new technological space may look like. And that's difficult to conceive. It's no surprise that our teachers across Nebraska are very theory of statistics. When you look at field endorsements, 612, 712, and they only require in many cases one stats class. So it's not that they're it's not that this, the teachers are unable to execute this and do what they're being asked to do. It's that they just don't have that experience. And so Heidi's absolutely right. The professional development need is probably going to be fairly high. And we also, in the number sense standards, wanted to include some steering towards getting kids to slow down and estimate. If you're going to use technology to do something, that's fine. But a lot of times the computer can be deceived. ChatGPT3 was notorious for you'd say to it, give me the first 25 prime numbers. It would list the first 25 primes very cleanly. And then you could reply back, you missed eight. And all of a sudden the technology would say, I'm sorry, the first 25 primes aren't, it would include eight in that list. And you say, no, you missed 14. And so the technology itself can lead to students not being trusting. 
And in order to get kids to develop that robust number sense and that, that ability to take in the information from the world around them and sort out the relevant, the irrelevant, the truth from the falsehoods, we need to get them to slow down when they're using technology. So in the number sense standards where you see that saying, we want kids to estimate that a particular number is between A and B. That, those were our attempts to try to get teachers to carefully think about how do we develop robust number sense that goes beyond memorization and simply what we call a fact. Yeah, I think that echoes the whole thinking versus mimicking. I, I think sometimes we're our own worst enemy as educators in that Students have been conditioned to oftentimes come in a classroom, teachers give them a worksheet, they do it, they leave. So it, there's a lot of mimicking that happens as opposed to really thinking about the math. And so I want to emphasize Shelby's comment about we want students to slow down, think about what might an answer look like, what might an answer mean and before they dive in and just mimic you know, what the teacher just did on the board. I'm personally not a huge fan of I do, we do, you do. <laughs> I like to flip that of, hey, here's a problem. You, as a group of three, try to work through it. What do you know? What might you be able to try to figure out with what you know? And I know when we were meeting as a K-12 group for the writing of the standards with data, we asked that the younger grades include more standards about developing investigative questions. Previously, even at the lower grade levels, it was very much, here's a list of numbers, let's do something with it, as opposed to, why might you even want or get a list of numbers, <laughs> you know, to, to think about just the data collection and the investigative question piece as well. So, yeah, we're hoping that we're getting more thinking. And active learning, collaborative learning. I, I'll just once again reiterate my own being green to this conversation. Uh, and I'm loving that every time I throw it to you too, <laughs> I'm learning more and more. So is there anything else that we would like to share with others uh, to support their thinking uh, as they are trying to grow in this space? We need to grow across Nebraska opportunities for rural teachers to get involved in the standards writing process. And it's no longer going to be true that one can just sit this out. A lot of our rural teachers are very concerned if they're the entire math department at their high school, if they're a department of one and they're teaching everything. The professional development piece is daunting because of the time that it takes. But on the other side of that, there are learners that are going through the school system that we definitely need to make sure that their needs are serviced. Another pressure that we're facing currently with the teacher shortage across Nebraska, the most recent figure I saw was around 6%. So if 6% of the math positions go unfilled, you can start bringing that number up to scale and realize that's hundreds of kids across the state that are going through thousands of hours of instruction, not necessarily having a math teacher there with them that's able to answer some of those questions they encounter. Uh, so we know that this set of standards poses some definite challenges, but in the age of technology, when things are present like Desmos, GeoGebra, Graspable Math, Mathagon, and a variety of other resources, we have to put ourselves, ourselves as a state, in a position uh, to make sure that our learners are prepared for whatever comes beyond school. Heidi, anything Thanks. to add? I was just going to say thank you for this opportunity. I hope that high school teachers specifically, I think where a lot of these questions were coming from, understand that we are really trying to serve the students of the state of Nebraska with these standards and 
from what we know from the research about how students best learn and what they're going to need in the world today. Um, we do have their best interests at heart and certainly here to help them in their journey as well as, as becoming better educators. So, Well, I'm grateful to the two of you and also to Trevor for uh, taking a little bit of time out of what is surely busy schedule to be able to help guide all of us a little bit more. Right? I just think being able to make some space to bring some conversations around this work will hopefully um, help make us better together. And so thank you so much for your time in development of these standards, the advocacy forum, giving us some resources and ideas and sharing on the pod today. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah.